Hey, hey, I'm Shay Keister, and I'm your host for the Casual Cattle Conversations podcast, where we connect you with members of the beef industry who can help you build a more profitable operation. As you listen to each episode, be sure to set an intention for the show. What do you want to get out of it, and how do you want to use this information to make changes on your operation? If you're looking for more ranching resources outside of what's being shared on these podcast episodes, sign up for my free weekly newsletter. I'll send ranching information and podcast episodes straight to your inbox every week. In addition to that, you will also receive a free PDF with 22 ranch management tips from the gurus who have been on my show. The link to sign up for that is in the show notes. With that, let's hear from our guests today and discover how we can improve the beef industry and our own unique cattle operations. Okay, Wes, Matt, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited to talk about some bull buying and bull sales today, just to have a conversation about that. Um, For those people, I mean, bull sale season has been in the swing of it for a while already, but it's also got a long ways to go. So we're going to hopefully provide some great tips, some resources, and just have a great conversation for commercial cattlemen to uh, get ready to buy their next herd sire. But to start out, Matt, can you introduce yourself to those listening and talk about what you're doing in the beef industry and kind of your background and the bull buying, selling space and just the industry as a whole? Sure. So my name is Matt Wolfolk. I'm originally from West Tennessee. I grew up on my family farm raising seed stock Hereford cattle on a farm that's been in the family since the Civil War ended. Uh, went through college as an animal science major at Mississippi State and then on to Texas A&M. And when I got out of school, I entered breed association work to, for my first real big kid job with the Beefmaster Breeders United for a couple of years as a field rep and then moved on to the American Shorthorn Association based out of Kansas City and was there full time for four years. And then a couple of years ago, I moved to Southwest Iowa, got married, and have settled on my my wife's hometown and here on her family farm. She and our one-year-old son, we have a herd of commercial cattle ourselves, but also have started kind of a new venture, adding a, a herd of Hereford cattle to the family enterprise and also trying to keep going with her herd of registered Angus cows. And in addition to that, uh, when I moved to Iowa, we started a a small business focused on data analytics in the seed stock sector, known as MRW Cattle Resources, where we primarily work with seed stock producers on on the bull sale and production sale side of things, analyzing what the customer is looking for in their specific situation, what folks are paying a premium for, and also helping them with their genetic plans to continue to produce those bulls that that the buyers are sending the signals that they want when they come to their specific bull sale. So we got just a couple fires going in the beef business. My wife's an extension specialist with Iowa State Extension. So we've got a couple of things going on. I would say it's not a couple and it's more like a lot, but it sounds like you're doing a lot of great things. And we have 
Wes Chisholm on here today too. And for those loyal listeners, you uh, everyone seems to know and love episodes with Wes. At least that's what the downloads say. So Wes, do you want to talk a little bit again about, you know, you're, you're with Gallagher now, but I know in your past life, or not past life, but previous ventures Probably before past Gallagher, life. past life, that's <laughs> what we're calling it. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you did before your time with Gallagher? Yeah, um, my career path follows Matt's pretty similarly. Um, I grew up in Kentucky. Uh, we lived in South Georgia for a little while. Um, went to the University of Kentucky, got a degree in ag econ with a minor in animal science. Left, um, went to work for the American International Charlotte Association as a field rep as my first big kid job. Um, I covered Texas and Louisiana and Arkansas and Oklahoma and New Mexico and Arizona for those guys, which is, you know, that's kind of the, that and the Northwest kind of the breadbasket for Charlotte bull sales and did that for just shy of six years and then left and came to Gallagher and have been there uh, since ever since. Well, it's great to have you back on the show again. And I'm excited for this conversation because I grew up with a seed stock background too. And as we prepare for our sale, it's, it's just front of mind. And so I'm excited to talk to you both. Now, Matt, you mentioned that you're involved in the, you have like a commercial herd and you're also involved in the seed stock space. So I'm, I'm always curious, what has having that commercial herd taught you or maybe changed about how you raise bulls and seed stock cattle? Well, the primary reason that we have the commercial herd and keep it going as the majority of our cows right now is because my wife and I and her father, we do, we do this together, but we all kind of feel that if you can't put your own genetics to work in a commercial situation, then your genetics are probably offline a little bit. So that's, that's what we're doing. The, we're raising a lot of bulls here that go back to work in the, on the commercial cows. And so we're, it's kind of our testing and proving ground of, are we doing things the way that we need to be doing it? for those bulls that we do sell to other folks that go to work in other commercial herds. If they don't work here, we're afraid they're not going to work somewhere else and that we need to find a way to improve what we're doing and make the make a better bull for our commercial herd and the other commercial herds that we get the privilege to sell bulls to. Well, right on. And that is very important. So you mentioned that you have MRW cattle services. Is that right? Cattle resources, yeah. Cattle resources, MRW cattle resources. Talk, talk so, a little bit more, go in a little more detail about what you're doing with that business. So I found the best way to describe what we do is just make it a hypothetical. And so, so for instance, Shay, say we're working with your family's bull sale. And so a lot of what we do is, you know, we take all the data and information you provide to the customer through the catalog, supplement sheets, what have you. Uh, we come to the bull sale, evaluate the cattle in person, uh, record price data and any other pertinent information. And then once the sale is over, come home and take all that information and analyze it to try to find those key data points or figures or whatever it might be, whether it's a sire group that your bull customer is going to pay 800 bucks more ahead for or if they're lining up and paying an extra $900 over sale average for a calving ease bull, it's just 
going through and dissecting where the dollar is being spent to help that seed stock producer say, okay, this is where I'm getting paid and this is what's valuable to my customer. So if there's a need for a shift in a breeding program or to try something a little bit different, you've got the dollars and cents proving it to help you know where to make that move and make that change. So what have been some of those value points where customers are spending more? Is it the sire groups? Is it a specific phenotype? Obviously that varies depending on geographical location, but what have been some of those value points that you've seen bringing more money for seed stock producers? So number one data point that I've seen across 98% of sales that we've gotten to work with is that the higher quality, better phenotypic bulls still sell for more money. And that that ranges across, I think, six or seven different breeds worth of data. That ranges into bull sales in eight different states in Canada. It's just been the best bulls still bring the most money. Granted, that's by my physical appraisal of them, so it's still a little subjective, but you know, we've still got to make good livestock. They've still got to be sound. They still have to have the functional pieces we need. And then once you find the good bulls, then you can start to look at some of the data points. Now that varies from sale to sale and operation to operation, what, what might be bringing a premium, but making sure we have good sound functional livestock has been the number one driver of, of an added premium at every bull sale I've had the chance to, to work with. Well, absolutely. A bull's got to be able to walk and get out there and do his job at the end of the day. And, and we've got to like looking at it. If we're going to feed them and look at them every day, I don't want an ugly bull standing there and nobody else does either. So obviously that is a very, very much a need and requirement for the commercial producer. What are some of those other data points or traits that commercial producers need to be looking at as they're searching for their next bull. Well, I think the biggest. Or, oh. go, nope, go ahead. I've talked enough for now. Get a drink. <laughs> uh, no, I think one of the big things that, you know, the guys we keep talking to and that I hear from is that they're looking for, you know, bulls that are efficient and bulls that work in their environment. Um, once you get past having to look at them, if they don't look good very long, then that becomes the next problem. Um, if the bulls aren't efficient, if they don't continue to grow, even as like, I mean, how many bulls are sold in this country as yearlings? Um, they have to continue to grow and cover cows. Um, unfortunately, we don't give them a time to take a time out and finish maturing before we kick them out most times. So they have to be efficient and they have to continue to grow and mature and put pounds on themselves and cover cows. And I think that's that efficiency piece becomes more and more important every year, I think. Well, absolutely. And so, you know, when you say bulls look good, this always leads me to the question as, you know, how much cover to put on the bulls before sale day? Because you don't want to get them too fat. You don't want to, but at what level, you know, what does the commercial producer want as well? That's a that's a double-edged sword. That's a loaded question, Shay. I know um, it is, and that's why I asked. <laughs> they'll tell you, oh, I don't want a fat bull. I'm, mm, I don't want a fat one. 
and then inevitably they'll buy the fattest one that's there. Um, and I can't blame them. Who doesn't want a bull that's slick and shiny and looks like a million bucks? Um, the problem with that is, and we all know it, you take that guy home and kick him out and he'll sweat that baby fat off. Um, so there is a magic, you know, there's somewhere in there, there's a magic answer for your customers at your operation, how much cover they need to have. Um, some guys I've been, when I was a fieldman in South Texas, some of those bulls don't have near the cover that you'll see on bulls in South Dakota, North Dakota, and Canada. Um, and it's just a factor of environment and their customers know that those that are extremely conditioned won't last. They'll go out there and fall apart and you'll have a credit on your hands. Matt, do you have anything to add to that from what you see? I think you got hit it exactly on the head. It's a, it is definitely a fine line to walk between getting a bull in the right condition that he looks good on sale day, but that there's not too much of it there that when the customer takes him home, because inevitably you're going to have guys that come by bulls. Some of them will take good care of them and kind of pamper them up to breeding season and make sure they're okay when they turn them out. Others will back up the trailer and drop them with, in all reality, probably too many cows and work them too hard and they'll fall apart. And then you're left with a dissatisfied customer, a bull that's not going to be able to work a second breeding season. But, and that, and that's a hard one to fight too. You, you can't control what they do from the, from the time they leave your ranch. But if you get them too fat, people aren't happy. If they're too skinny, people can be dissatisfied too and say the bulls aren't good enough. So it, it's a hard challenge. It's a challenge I think everybody that's ever tried to sell a bull has fought with. Now, you brought up a good point that like seed stock producers cannot control what the buyer does once that bull walks off the trailer, once that transaction is made. What have you seen in as being effective ways to build good relationships between, you know, the commercial producer and the seed stock provider to make sure bulls will fit the environment and that, you know, hopefully you can help that buyer take good care of that bull after it leaves your place. Cause no one likes to sell a bull and see it fall apart because it was worked too hard or wasn't fed right. And, you know, and on the other side, if for some reason the bull doesn't work out, that's important for that seed stock producer to know so that, they can make changes. So what have you seen as being effective ways of building that relationship between bull seller and bull buyer? I think the biggest deal there is follow-up. Um, so many times I don't think guys reach back out to their bull customers and just check on the bull. Um, you know, and it, and it doesn't matter if we're selling bulls or selling, you know, widgets at the store. Um, everybody's heard that, you know, they get a phone call a year later and said, this this thing's never been right since day one. Well, has it not been right since day one or did something happen somewhere down the road and they were dissatisfied? And I think if guys would take the time to reach back out to their customers and say, hey, you know, how are things getting along? Do you bull still looking good? Have any problems? You know, appreciate you coming and buying from us. I think that goes a long way. If nothing else, then it shows that you're interested. And if they are having a problem or have a concern, you can try to address it earlier on instead of later. I've always felt like you very rarely hear from the satisfied customer. 
the ones that buy the bulls and they go out, turn them out, they work great. They keep them multiple breeding seasons. You don't hear from those guys till the bull finally reaches his end life and they have to come replace him. But if something goes really wrong, those are the ones you hear from. And it seems to me over the last few years, I think we've kind of seen a shift to where customer service is even more important from the seed stock producer side than it used to be. You know, we used to be able to get away with a, a first breeding season guarantee was that was the customer service. But now you see things like delivery help or free delivery in some cases. I've seen some bull sales that will offer free delivery to anywhere in the continental United States yeah. to, to try to get people to, to come check out their genetics and be a part of it. Whether it's calf buyback programs for some is an option for some folks. So the customer service piece is becoming, I won't say it's as big a piece as the genetics that we offer at this point, but it's a growing growing additional piece of what the seed stock producer has to do to keep that customer happy. And it's like Wes said, if you reach out to folks, that's you might learn of a few more problems the more folks you call up and say, hey, how are the bulls doing? But it helps you get better. If you reach out and you have multiple guys say, no, you know, the feet didn't really hold up on those bulls. You go back and look, they're all in the same sire group. You probably don't need to be putting him in the AI list for next year. Matt, you make a pretty good point too. I think I think you're right that the genetics is what gets a customer there. They come to buy, or I mean, in my mind, I guess they they come to buy the genetics that you're offering. But that customer service is what keeps those guys coming back. That's the retention of it. Um, knowing they're going to be taken care of if there is a problem, um, and like you said the the laundry list of things that get offered now blow my mind i mean free delivery all anywhere in the u.s it's crazy i mean fuel's high <laughs> but customer service is important with any business so it very much needs to be with the bull selling business but you uh as a business owner you have to well like you said fuel's high so you have to know what you can afford too as far as customer service but I, I agree that following up with your customers, calling them, those are um, key factors to keep that relationship strong. Now, my next question is kind of focused a little more on the commercial producer as they're buying bulls and looking at, you know, what's your bull budget for the year? Because you're going to have two different producers with two very drastically different budgets in some cases, as far as what they can afford for a bull. So what are some of those factors that commercial producers can look at to determine, you know, are they going to get an ROI on this bull? Like how much can they afford to spend on a bull? To me, I think even before you start into how much can I spend on a bull, you have to know what kind of bull you need. You know, just because your neighbor has a bull sale coming up and they're offering 50 bulls, but if you look really hard at what you're what you're trying to do with your operation, if none of those bulls fit, then the convenience of there there might be 500 bulls selling within 10 miles of your house. But if if you're trying to say make smoky charlays with your black cows and 
all 500 of those bulls within 10 miles of the house are Angus bulls, you're not going to accomplish that goal very well. And so I think before you can even really get into the budget, you got to identify what you need and see if it's out there and where it is. And then you start kind of putting the pencil to it. You know, it's, you can, yeah, we have a pretty good idea of what we're, what kind of returns we're getting when salad feeder calves or replacement bred heifers, if that's what you're doing in your commercial situation. But the old, old saying, you, you can afford to spend what three to five feeder calves brings on your, on your next herd bull. Well, if you're selling bred heifers and that's your bread and butter, I would argue that that adage still works, but now you can kind of look at, well, what did I get selling three to five bread heifers last year? And maybe that helps define your bull budget a little better. It's that, that the fun of this is it's different for everybody. The problem with it is it's different for everybody. Wes, do you have anything to add to that? No, he hit that one pretty good. Um, <laughs> and it, he's exactly right. I mean, it it's not a, a one-stop shop fits all one size fits all deal. I mean, it's, everybody's got to tailor it to their own operation and what their goals and wants are. I mean, if you're somebody that is like Matt said, really concerned about making smoke calves, but you've got to have low birth weight and you've got to have carcass and things like that on top of it all, your wants and needs are going to be totally different than the guy that's wanting to make, you know, those grade A high high end replacement heifers. So, I mean, it's a, you do have to, you have to know your program and know what your wants and not just go by the, the bull of the month club. Absolutely. With our, or go go ahead, Matt. With, with our commercial cows right now, we're, we're in the middle of bull shopping just like everybody else. And we're going to have to add multiple bulls this year, but those bulls are definitely not the same type and kind. It's not, let's go find one kind of bull and buy multiple of them it's no we've got to have a bull for mature cows we've got to have a heifer bull we've got to infuse some crossbreeding and we can't do all of that with one bull or if we find him we can't afford him because he's going to be in an ai stud somewhere to make the next next generation of seed stock bulls so you you got to kind of you got to know what you want and then be able to manage a budget as best you can and and make the most of that dollar, however you, however you can make it happen and still get your cows bred. Absolutely. And I think on top of that, it's thinking ahead because you're buying a bull now, but when will you be selling his progeny to, and who are you going to be selling them to is something that needs to be at the top of your mind as well when you're looking at bulls. So you mentioned like, you know, know what you want to improve, know what you're needing in your herd. Seed stock producers are collecting tons of data on their own herd. What tools, technology, advice do you have for commercial cattlemen to either collect data or analyze what they need to improve in their herds in another way? I think the biggest deal from, and it applies to purebred or commercial guys, um, you can't know what you don't measure. So just because you've spent a lot of money on bull A, and not as much money on bull B, don't assume that the calves out of bull A are going to be the best. Um, if you don't run those guys across the scale, take weights, see where you're at, 
I mean, you might have spent three times the money on bull A and the calves are, you know, 40% lighter. Well, was that a good investment? Was that a good ROI? Probably not. Might not need to do that again. Or even if you, Matt, you know, made the point about we have to look at them. You know, there's been some bulls in the world that have been a little on the ugly side that have went and outperformed and outproduced themselves and their calves have been groundbreaking. Um, and just because that bull is really pretty and he looks the part, I mean, if you don't measure what he's doing, you don't know if he is or not. I would I would agree, Wes. I mean, here, I mean, a lot of folks like to say, you know, we run our seed stock like commercial cattle, but we're fortunate that our house, the Angus, the Herefords, and the commercial cows run in the same pasture, and they are treated the same. And that's the same with data collection. Every calf that comes across the scale at weaning is going to get weighed. And, you know, even with the commercial cows, those records are are kept. My wife's a meticulous record keeper, and she can go back probably 10 years of records on, on the commercial cows here and know which ones work and which ones don't and which sires that were brought in or bred here have have left a positive impact and which ones regret ever unloading off the trailer. So you've got to have some kind of information if it's just, I mean, even if it's as little as you've got your sale barn stub from last year when you took your calves, so you know what they weighed and what they brought, that's at least a starting point to somewhat know where your genetics are to help you get better moving forward. Matt, are you doing any DNA testing on your commercial calves too? We kind of kept that strictly to the to the registered cattle at this point. It's we've definitely had the discussion of using some of those commercial panels out there, more so on the heifer side, to kind of gauge mm -hmm. what we might have and help make those replacement versus selling as bred heifer decisions. We we haven't invested in it yet, but that's a Definitely a conversation that's been had several times at this point. Well, yeah, I know that's something that's been a topic on the show before, too. So I always like to ask people where they're at with that thought process. So, you know, about about the time I thought we were going to dive into it, our diaper bill got really high. And so it's we kind of put it on the back burner for a little bit. <laughs> so. Do either of you have anything more to add to the conversation about what commercial cattlemen can look at before um, they buy bulls? The one thing I would say, and it's kind of an, a little bit of an unpopular discussion, and uh, it was brought up to me actually at a grazing event a couple of years ago, is expectations. Um, and I don't mean it badly, but, you know, some of these guys get in their heads that, you know, I want this bull and he's going to be this and this and this and this. And uh, that bull that is what he's looking for, that's the next great AI sire. And he's going to bring $200,000 plus, you know, half a million, three quarter million, who knows what. Um, and you can't get so wrapped up in, you know, he's got to check all these boxes that you get yourself in a bind where you keep passing on really good options and then you don't get a bull. Um, so I think that, and like I said, it's not a, it's not an easy discussion to have, but it is one that, you know, you have to know, you have to know what you can afford and you have to know, 
what your expectations are. Um, just because you want that bull, we all want that bull, and somebody's going to pay a lot more than I know I can. So, um, I mean, like I said, it's a hard discussion, but it's something I think everybody needs to take in consideration when they go to pricing out what they need. Yeah, that, that five feeder calf budget doesn't buy the bull that checks every single box. I can assure you that that doesn't work very well. But, you know, every bull you bring in, whether it's a walking herd bull in a commercial situation or if if it's a more progressive commercial operation that's AIing, every bull is a tool to try to improve something. Now, I try my best to not get myself into the box of every bull has to do everything because that's just un like Wes said, expectation there is unrealistic. And so try to, I try to look at it more and the folks that I work with, we kind of have the discussion of what do you, what is the main thing you need a bull to do in this situation? And then go find the one that the best one in your budget that can do that. He may not be the one that gives you calving ease carcass and insane growth, but if you need a heifer bull, the insane growth piece isn't what you need to place your value on. It's finding the best calving ease option you can and getting him bought and putting him to work and just remembering that every every genetic decision you make is a piece of the puzzle and trying to do it all with one bull in one one fell swoop is just an unrealistic expectation and just about every situation. Well, thank you for all that insight. Now, another question that came to mind is what have you guys been seeing kind of across the country as far as producers adopting just doing like video sales? Well, I mean, not necessarily just online. Like, for example, like my family, we have EV auction come in, but we also we have the bulls penned outside, but we don't run anything through a ring anymore. So are you seeing a lot of producers kind of get rid of running? cattle through the ring or how have you seen that shift in the past few years you know there was a time just a few years ago that i would have thought that we would have been completely at video sales now um but i think if you look at the population and the age break in our farm and ranch communities there's still enough i don't want to say old timers but there's still enough of a, a difference in ages uh, the guys that are making the decisions and writing the check those guys still like to see those animals go through the ring. Um, and then from on a seller side, you know, um, we can present these guys really well. We can have the very best videos and there's still going to be that instant where some bull comes in the ring and a guy goes, well, that's not enough money for him. He's really good. And you get that extra bid or two and who knows where you go from there. Um, that we lose with a video sale. So it's goes back to that, you know, the right thing for the right operation. It does, I think, cost more to not, or cost more to put them through the ring. If you have to hire in help, um, it's easily paid for to do the video only if you have to hire help for sale day. If you're one of those people that have big families or have neighbors that come over and work for a meal, um, those deals are not near as expensive to do so but it does it, it kind of has to do i think with your customer base and what you can justify in your operation i'll actually argue the other side of that one here as far as kind of being pro video sale because it gives you flexibility you know 
if we were to get to the point of having a production sale, we don't have a facility where we could set up a sale ring and run bulls through it. There's just no way we'd have to go off site to do it. And the options to do that aren't great. And so it gives you the flexibility to say, clean out the machine shop for a week, set up tables and chairs and a couple TVs and pin the bulls outside. Like Wes said, and you can go right at it. I haven't seen too many people slow down much over buying them on a video screen if they're pinned outside you know I've, i have seen some where the bulls are off site and then you put them in put people in a room and have the sale and they didn't have the opportunity to walk out the back door and go look at the bulls now that's more of a challenge but i think the the video option gives the flexibility that just about anybody can host a sale now if you've got a a building or a big room and a place to put your bulls outside, you've got the ability to host a sale if you want to. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate all of your guys's professional insight and experience that you've shared today, but I would like to move towards a fun part of the conversation as we wrap up, since we kind of started with it off of the recording, but to kind of wrap things up in a fun way, what are your favorite sale day meals to really make the event? Well, if we ever get to the point of having that sale, the first person I'm going to hire to cook for it is Wes Chisholm, without a doubt. It, it, we will make sure to serve some of the best brisket I've ever had in my life anywhere off of Wes Chisholm smoker. I appreciate that, Matt. I really do. And I will answer that one with the best sale day meal I ever had was in, uh, and if he listens to this, he's going to laugh was at Mitch Thomas's Thomas Charlet Inc. in uh, uh, Raymondville, Texas, way down south. They had uh, green chili one time, and it was out of this world. Man, it was good. And uh, I've never forgotten that, and that's probably been – that's been at least 10 years ago. But uh, I have never forgotten that. That's probably – that goes down as one of the most unique and best meals I ever had sale day. There, There's definitely pieces of – various sale day meals that are that come to mind if, if i could take the cheesy potatoes that you have at jungle shorthorns every january and pair them with you know some of the desserts i've had along the way or you know i also say don't be afraid to be just a little bit different on the meat side we can all go get a burger somewhere but you know hot beef sundays are not a bad thing to, to trot out there or it doesn't have to go on a bun to be a successful sale day meal. That's right. And like Matt said, you know, we talk about, you know, like I just said, something that was unique that stuck with me. I mean, if you're, if you're thinking of redoing your sale meal, do something a little different um, and, you know, have some fun with it. Cause I mean, those poor auctioneers and ringmen by the end of sale season, they've eaten enough barbecue to kill somebody. I mean, that's the last thing they want to do is, have another barbecue sandwich. Alrighty. So thank you very much. I appreciate you both being on the show today and having this conversation. Thanks for having us, Shay. Appreciate the opportunity. And that's a wrap on that one, folks. Thank you for tuning in today and joining in on the conversation. 
Be sure to take this a step further and take the advice you learned and implement it on your operation. If you want to have a conversation about it, head over to my social media and send me a DM by following at Cattle Convos and connecting with me there. Have a great day.